Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We have begun our study in 2 Corinthians. We started that last week, and we're in chapter 1. And last week, uh, we looked at verses 1 through 7. And we'll be looking at verses 8 through 11 tonight. And last week, we said 1 Corinthians, we just finished, is really, was really a letter of correction, a letter of instruction. And it was about addressing the problems of the Corinthian fellowship. 2 Corinthians is different. It is personal. It's almost a biographic letter. It gives us a look at the soul of Paul. It describes what Paul is about and how he has endured the hardships and afflictions of Christianity. It was actually written to personally mentor the saints. And we, uh, it, we asked this question last week, and I'll bring it up again. How does Paul keep going? Really, you ever ask yourself the question? We read through it, and we know the end of the book, so to speak. But as you're reading through the difficulties that he went through and all that he endured, you, you kind of ask yourself the question, why and how? Why would you put up with that from a purely human standpoint? Paul's life makes absolutely no sense. That's because it's not a human life. It's not a natural life. It's a supernatural. Paul's life was supernatural, not because of the miracles that he participated in, but because of the way he lived his life. Now, this portion of the letter addresses suffering and affliction. I know that's one of your favorite topics right there next to giving and, uh, you know, things of that, obedience, some of those other topics that the enemy has literally made a hard topic for us to hear because he's already painted us in a corner in our belief system for most of us. We've come out of it as a congregation and we recognize that obedience is really the affirmation of truth. It's a blessing. It's God's blessing. We realize that giving is really just the expression of who we are because we were made in his image. And we, could, we are going to talk about tonight the purpose of suffering and affliction. There's a lot been written about why Christians suffer. If you go to a Christian bookstore, you can find aisles with this stuff. And most of it is man-centered and much of it sees suffering as the work of the enemy. It has been said that we suffer because God wants to test our faith or test our obedience. It's said that we suffer in order to, for God to test us in our acquaintance of the Scripture. And we suffer to test our patience. And we suffer because of our mistakes and our sin. And we suffer as a test to our faithfulness. And there are many reasons given for why, why we suffer. Most imply that we're either victim, victims of our own sin or victims of the enemies of God or it's God's desire to test us. Does that make Christianity attractive to you? I mean, are you you're going, oh, you know, that sounds good. I, I, want, a, I want a piece of that. Uh, come to Jesus and suffer. Uh, the invitation's open. You know, I, I kind of believe that. Growing up in a Baptist church, um, 
all I heard about is what we did wrong and how we were going to suffer about suffer for it, or I heard a lot of it, not all. But my emotional perception was that a Christian was called to, to suffer for their mistakes and their failures in this life because, after all, we won't go to hell. And isn't that, isn't that a cheery outlook to go forward in Christianity? Do we attempt, or does the Bible teach us that only the wicked suffer? Does our faith insulate us from suffering? Some teach that. Do we attempt to live a godly life in order to manipulate God in maintaining our comfort? Is that why we do it? If then, if we do it for that reason, then the goal of life is something other than knowing Jesus, isn't it? Matthew twenty-seven forty-three really illustrates that point, that Christ did not come to save us from afflictions and suffering in this life. They said of Jesus as he was on the cross hanging there, they said, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he cares for him and will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. God did not and would not rescue his precious son from that suffering and from death. But it turned out to be the greatest demonstration of his love and of his glory. Suffering either reveals man's need for God or it reveals the fact that he has one. Suffering and affliction is not a possibility. It's a fact. It's a fact. We are born to experience. We will suffer at some point. We've all in this room have suffered to some degree. And you know what? If you're still living, it's not over with. Congratulations. But there will be more. And we don't avoid suffering by being a Christian. But we change, we change the very purpose and we change our relationship in terms of how we see suffering. It changes. It's no longer what we, what we believed it to be. God wouldn't rescue his own son at that point because he had something greater to demonstrate. Every man is born to suffering. Every man will experience some suffering. The lost man endures suffering with strength and hope in his flesh. And he believes that life is all about just eliminating pain and eliminating suffering and maximizing his comfort. But as we've seen throughout history and in most of you have experienced, there is no amount of resources that can save you from it. You're going to have to go through it. Now, we're God's children. At least I hope we all are. If you're not, you need to come talk to me. We do not live by the definitions of the world. For us, life, peace, hope, Joy, comfort are all defined in our union with Christ, not in our circumstances and certainly not in our body. In the same way, the experiences of this life for the child of God have a higher purpose. We don't just endure them to get beyond them. They have a higher purpose. It is a purpose that he has called us to, and it's a glorious one. Let's look at our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8. And nine. For we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about the afflictions and oppressing distress which befell us in the province of Asia, how we were so utterly and unbearably weighed down and crushed that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt within ourselves that we had received the very sentence of death, but that was to keep us from trusting in and depending on ourselves instead of on God who raises the dead. Now, Paul wants the Corinthians to understand something about what he endured, what he went through. 
and he's being very open and vulnerable with them. He knew, based on his history with them, how some of them would actually interpret his admission of his suffering. Some of them would believe that he was suffering because in some way he had violated the will of God. In some way he was acting in disobedience. Because surely that is the only reason God would allow that to happen in his life. And God, that's the same thing that Job's friends thought, too. But you know what? We can go through the word of God and we can see that every saint of God who is mentioned in this book, to some degree, suffered. And the more prominent ones suffered most. So that prosperity gospel in its infant form was actually in the church of Corinth. And he, Paul knew that he would get accused over it. Well, what happened, whatever happened, it happened in the province of Asia where Ephesus was the principal city or capital. And it's presumed that whatever happened, happened while he was in Ephesus. And we don't know for sure, but we know that Paul was no stranger to suffering as we read his letters. He was no stranger to affliction. And if he says it was unbearable, it had to be severe. It had to be very severe. Some of your translations use the word burden. The Greek word there is bareo, and it means pressed down to the point of breaking. It was used as a metaphor for a ship that was overloaded and breaking up. It was also to describe a form of torture that was used even into the Middle Ages, a form of execution where they would lay a board over the top of the victim and they would just keep piling weights on that board until it literally crushed them. The picture here is not of just one affliction. It's not of just one thing that that vexed him. It's a picture of so many things hitting him to the point that he couldn't bear anymore, and it brought him to the point of despair. And that Greek word for despair is a very long word, a bit of a tongue twister, and I'm not all that good at pronunciation to begin with, so I'm not going to amuse you by seeking to try to do it tonight. But what it means, it means to be without hope, out of options. It can also mean without passage, in other words, no exit, no exit, no visible means of escape. In other words, they begin to see death as their only way out. Now, can you imagine Paul coming to that place? I've got nothing to do left to do but die. I can't, I cannot go, cannot get out of this. It's important to remember, though, as you're reading that, that Paul is is actually describing for you the journey of his soul, okay? He is describing you what he's gone going through before he has that but God moment, okay? Now, we see that in the Bible. We see it, especially the psalmist shows that to us over and over again, where he's talking about, oh, my enemies have come against me. They've bared their teeth and they've sharpened their spears and they're getting ready to fricassee me or whatever he's going to do. And he, he goes on and on and on, and then he gets to that place and says, but you, O oh Lord, are my salvation. You, O oh Lord, are my help. You, O oh Lord, are my deliverer in time of need. So Paul hasn't, and in, in, in the process of this letter, he's getting to that but God point. And he's telling them he suffered and he despaired of life. See, they felt as if the sentence of death was upon him. We actually see this in uh, Jesus when uh, he's in the garden, the despair of the soul. He's wrestling with his own soul before the cross. So at this point, they can only hope in the resurrection power of God. All hope in the circumstances is gone. All hope in their strength is spent out. 
All hope in the deliverance of man has come to an end. So what is Paul's conclusion at the end of all of this? That God had allowed the despair and hopelessness in order that they would not trust in themselves. That's his conclusion. Hopelessness and despair are always to bring us to the only source of hope. The only hope that really suits the child. Now, my son was mentioning earlier that in the Old Testament, the God has many names. And what, what that really represents is that we may know something about God, but through knowing that about him, he is literally going to show us himself as that. So we know hope is something that, that encourages us. Hope is something that we can anticipate. Hope is something that gives light and life to our souls. He says... I am hope. And you can go down the list and everything that we've mentioned. Last week we talked about comfort. And he is the God of all comfort. So the names are given in the Old Testament and and you see it in the Hebrew. And they, they recognize that God was not talking about just something that he extended towards them. A piece of his of his character apart from himself, he was giving them himself. This was him extending himself to them. When he says, I am the God that healeth you, he says, I am your healing. That's who I am. And that's why he starts off saying, I am. (laughs) Because everything that, that is critical to our existence, everything that we were made to know about him and experience, he is. It's a knowing that that we've only scratched the surface of here. God left them in that place so that they would know there was no other hope but him. Suffering reveals that a man needs a life that is greater than the body, that he was not made to endure alone or independently. An illustration of this is Matthew 14. And you all remember the story where the disciples are in the boat and they're rowing to the other side of the sea. And it's in the early morning hours. It's very dark. And suddenly... The wind whips up and a giant storm erupts. You know, if I were those guys after being through this a couple of times, I think I'd just give up getting in the boat, you know. But anyway, they're on their way across and then the storm comes against them and they're rowing and they're rowing. And they're, these were not wimpy guys. These were, these were fishermen. These were laborers. These were guys with strong backs and they couldn't make any progress. And when they're totally spent, totally exhausted, without hope, despairing. They look out. First they think it's a ghost, so they scream. It's a good Halloween story. But it's not. It's Jesus. And Jesus comes across and they call. And eventually Jesus gets in the boat with them and they find themselves back at shore. You see, they were toiling in the dark, spending every strength and energy that they had trying to create something within themselves to be their own salvation because they believed that's what they needed to do. And when they recognized Jesus, you know what they saw? They saw that Jesus had their problem underneath his feet. He was walking over the top of it. And when they invited him into the boat, they recognized that Jesus was in control of it all. He didn't just take control of it when he, when he walked out there. He was in control of it completely. This is a great illustration of how God allows us to come to the point of exhaustion and despair so that we will trust him. They were going nowhere. They were toiling in the dark until they invited Jesus in and recognized. Suffering has taken us from knowing about him to knowing him. Knowing for us is deeper than knowing about. We have a personal God who shares his life with us. 
He wants us to share not just his life, but he wants us to share our experience. Now, that's not us sitting around the campfire talking about what we've been through. Sharing that experience of life with him means to share every moment with him. It means to literally consider him as part of what you're going through. One of the things that makes suffering change from the thing that takes hope to the thing that amplifies the truth of the hope that you have is recognizing the very presence of God wherever you're at. Now, one of the reasons we don't want to do that is that guilt and fear has built a good wall between us and the presence of God. We, we walk around with an assumption that he's only there when, when we're just exactly the way we should be. Kind of like when we invite people over the house and we've got everything put where it should be. Then we'll invite them. But I'm going to tell you something. Christ is there with you whether you recognize him or not. Whether you invite him or not. Because you see, you'll never, nothing will ever separate you from his presence and his love. And suffering has this way of literally tearing down all of the obstacles that have prevented you from seeing how dependent and how faith, how dependent you are and how faithful he is. That's what it's about. We go from knowing about him to knowing him. Suffering takes us into that. Verse 10. For it is he who rescued and saved us from such a perilous death. And he still will still rescue and save us. In and on him we have set our hope our joyful and confident expectation that he will again deliver us from danger and destruction and draw us to himself. Now, the from danger and destruction and draw us into himself is the amplified taking the, the essence of what the Greek is about and writing it out that way. Some of your translations may say delivered us. That is because I want you to understand that what the Greek is doing in here is it is personalizing the deliverance as the work of a deliverer or rescuer. He is our deliverer. Another name God. He is our deliverer. Now, this is not deliverer in the sense that we've seen on television, that he shows up just in the nick of time. That sense that he is our deliverer means that we are being delivered constantly. His presence is with us. Deliverance is not something he just does. Deliverance is who he is. It's the eternal deliverance of God. And what I mean by that is that he has delivered us in the past, he is delivering us in the present, and he will deliver us in the future. That will not stop. He is your deliverer. So you can sit there and you can, the enemy will give you a thousand reasons that you may be suffering. And he will say that God will deliver you when you get all of your eggs lined up. When you get everything just the way it should, God will deliver you. When you are in perfectly obedient, when you start doing that early morning Bible study, you promised him you'd do. New Year's resolution. Whatever. Reading through the Bible. Whatever you said you would do, when you get your act together, God will be happy to step in. Well, now that is a man-centered point of view. God doesn't deliver you because of your behavior. God delivers you, now get this, not because you're in trouble. You've got God himself in union, his spirit in union with him. 
you're not in trouble. God delivers you because of who he is. Now, the children of Israel got delivered because they were his children. And, they, and their deliverance was often dependent upon their behavior. But that changed because we are now reconciled to God, not by our behavior, by Jesus himself. And he is our deliverer, past, present, and future. So when you're going through a difficult time, don't do what so many Christians do and spend a lot of time praying for the presence of God, praying that God will come riding in like, you know, on a white horse to be your deliverer. Don't believe that if you get just enough people praying that somehow this will provoke God into doing what he really just dragging his feet to do, which is deliver you, heal you, prosper you, or whatever. That is all man-centered heresy. It's garbage. You need to understand that the deliverer is sitting there with you. It reminds me of that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're in the fire, in the furnace, so hot that it killed the guards and went to throw them in. And they're walking around in there, and who's in there with them? He is. Now, was the fire hot? Yes. Would it kill? Yes. All of that is true. But there's something that literally trumps the fire. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, in that case, he was among them. In your case, he is part with you. You're in union with him. It's no longer a matter of proximity. It's a matter of life within. So, one deliverance is not enough for us. We need the abiding presence of the deliverer, right? <laughs> Isn't that good to know? Now, does that mean that we will never endure suffering as long as he's with us? Because I've got to tell you, most people are inviting Jesus in on the scene so they can put an end to the suffering. They really don't care if he sticks around afterwards. They just want to get done with the, with the pain and the suffering and all that stuff, you know? And if I, if I can get rid of all of that, then Jesus, you know, if you've got other things to attend to, that's fine. I can take it from here. Now, that's not what they'd say, but that's the emotional attitude. I just got to get over this hump. And I've actually heard people say that to me. They've come to me and say, you know, if God can just get me past this point, if God could just get me beyond this situation. Listen, this is not about your circumstance. It's not about your situation. It's about the abiding presence of God himself, literally exposing himself to you, allowing the circumstances that you're in, the suffering that you're experiencing, to be a huge picture of what he thinks of you and who he is. It's how we know him. It doesn't mean that he will deliver us from pain and suffering. It does mean that he will and can deliver us from hopelessness, from despair. This is what Paul's talking about. He was delivered from hopelessness and despair. And yes, we know that he was delivered from death, but that's not what took life from him in his perspective. It was the despair of the soul. It was the hopelessness of the mind, will, and emotions. And if we want to make this a man-centered verse, we can talk about how Jesus yanked him out of the jaws of death, and he'll do the same for you, because if you have enough people praying, well, you know what? I don't want to depend. I'm sorry. I just don't want to depend on your prayers. Thank you. I want to believe I have a God that is with me now. 
I want to believe that He wants to deliver me, not because precious saint so-and-so was praying. I want to believe that He's delivering me because that is who He is and because I am His child and He desires to deliver me. Now, how about you? I mean, you may have a good... And I'm not knocking the prayers. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm not knocking that. I'm just talking about God being in us as our deliverer and what is exposed about Him and about us through suffering. He will provide for us. He will prove to us in that suffering that suffering cannot take life from us. In fact, it makes us confident in His love, in His gentleness, in His compassion, in His deliverance. How will I know His strength if I never have known weakness? How will I ever know the God of all comfort if I never need comfort that this world cannot provide? How will I ever know Him as hope that cannot be shaken if my hope is in this world? You see, we're being squeezed in this life in order to release the life within. The life that comes from the inside out. It's a union life that is eternal and lives in the presence of God. A life that is never diminished by weakness of the body. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.